All right, college basketball fans, here we go again with another edition of Mad About Hoops. I'm your college basketball-loving friend, Timmy Hall, and he is Evil Bald Colin. What up, Evil? Oh, Tim, it's uh, it's great to be a fan of just the sport in general because it makes sure you don't feel down when the teams you really enjoy and really support uh, don't pull out wins that you want them to pull out. So it's it's good to enjoy the entire sport and not let just one game get you down. Probably going to have a double barrel of Buckeye basketball segments because there's a lot to unpack with the talent that we see on this team and what are they ultimately going to do and now the potential injury. Well, not a potential injury. We just don't know how long this Buckeye basketball team is going to be without a guy like Zed Key. But we got a lot to talk about here. The Chris Beard situation came to a head this week. We can actually bet legally on college basketball now. Which has not been going well for me. Oh, man. It's going to be going well for me tonight because we're betting on Ivy League games on a Friday night. And to our fine folks that are listening on the fan on Saturday morning, yes, that has already happened. So I could be doing great or I could be doing poorly face down in a Columbus gutter somewhere because the smart guys at Yale couldn't take care of Dartmouth. But we have got a lot to talk about this week. We'll kind of reset the table where everything is in the sport, the beard situation, the Buckeyes, a little mid-major flavor in the final segment, and as always, your Mad About Hoops road trip meter. What can you possibly catch today or tomorrow within reason? It's all coming up, so nestle in. You got episode 77 of Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backboard. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it just inside of half court. Lane's on the other wing. Bang. Oh! Oh! oh. 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 Set it in, Jerome! <laughs> College basketball. This is March Madness. And you know, as I'm listening to the open here today, Evil, Gus Johnson appears a couple of times in there because why not? That's Gus. He, the dude's mad. He's stark raving mad, and we're mad about hoops. So we had him in town with Jim Jackson calling that game. And, of course, that Ohio State-Purdue game was a barn burner, which we'll get into a little bit coming up here. But let's go to uh, the Texas situation. Let's start right there. UT fires Chris Beard amid the domestic family violence charge. And here's where everything is at the moment. He's gone with cause. And as the university's vice president of legal affairs, Jim Davis, put it, he wrote in a letter to Beard's attorney, Perry Mitten, that Beard engaged in, quote, unacceptable behavior that makes him unfit to serve as head coach of our university. Whether prosecutors are going to continue with the case, it does not even determine whether Beard engaged in conduct becoming of the school, Davis wrote. Now, clearly, they are continuing with this case. I was reading the Travis County District Attorney's Office released a statement on Thursday morning, said the matter is still under review. Our prosecutors are evaluating all the evidence, including recent statements and all evidence collected by law enforcement. Our office takes all allegations of domestic violence seriously. In each case, we are committed to working through the unique challenges presented. 
Evil, I was starting to feel really uncomfortable about this one. We talked about it last week when the fiance came out and basically took it all back. You and I are reasonable thinking dudes. And we said, oh, uh, pardon us for not just thinking everything is honky dory in this situation. Yeah, it didn't feel right. And it does nothing to how Texas would feel about their head coach being involved in this. Sorry if I don't believe Beard is just ultimately some great guy now that the fiance comes out and says, oops, you know, my bad. I, I pushed his buttons. I kind of caused the physical altercation towards myself. No, not a great look. Texas came to the right decision here, in my opinion. What say you? No, Tim, I completely agree with you. This is something they just had to move on from and make the right decision. And in the end, I, I think they had to make it. And it's it's an opportunity to remove the distraction from the program. It's it's to allow them to continue to pursue the heights that they want to get to without a guy that, quite honestly, just doesn't deserve to be there after what allegedly happened. And as that process goes on and they deci- decipher whether he's proven guilty or innocent, that's for another day to de- decipher. But for the program itself, they just needed to move on in a different direction because at the end of the day, you represent the university no matter what. And when you put a university in the bad light, they should remove you from the premises. If you are a hardcore, fun-loving Texas basketball fan and you are psyched about your team and, I mean, you also take – I hope any reasonable person would take a situation like this very seriously. I I feel for the fans that – you know, went through the shock of smart era. That was a really popular hire, right? I mean, he was one of the hottest dudes. And they were decent. decent. They, they had really decent, good teams. They just but couldn't they really do anything when it came shock, time, so when it mattered. Shaka failed. I mean, come on. Like, by, by any oh, standard, overall, yes, by any standard, by any measure, he kind of took a wait-and-see approach. Remember, man, when he was – he had the – the Havoc defense at VCU went from Dayton all the way to the Final Four, beat Kansas in the Elite Eight to get there. And he stayed at VCU in Richmond, Virginia, and got a big raise and got a lot of money pumped into that program to beef up their facilities. There was there was some thought that he might just stay there, and they were going to rise up. What conference are they in right now? Because I know they They are they rose. in the A-10. And they were in the CAA. I believe so, yes. And so they kicked up into a bigger conference. Who knows if with conference realignment, if they could have taken another step. But it was very interesting that Texas was the gig that he wound up taking. I think it told us a lot about how some of these football first schools really can swing a big stick when it comes to basketball. But that one didn't work out. Uh, Shaka went on to Marquette now, and he's doing pretty well there so far. But it's not to that standard of this dude's appearing in Sweet 16s, you know, more often than not, which is where we thought he was going. But really embarrassing for Chris Beard. Really embarrassing. Because after the run with Texas Tech, I mean, he shot right up to the top of almost everyone's list of being a top five up-and-coming coach, maybe even just a top five current head coach in general, and instantly pushing the right buttons at Texas. And because he didn't have his personal life in order, this is what happens. Yeah, real quick, the way in on Chaka Smart. It always felt like he was going to he was going to go back to his home area at some point, whether it was M- Madison, Wisconsin, for the right. the, uh, yeah. the Badgers or the if, job if he eventually got with Marquette. Yeah, I think he eventually did want to get back there at that point. But that's besides the fact. Moving back towards Chris Beard, yeah, it, it's just it's sad because this is a guy that had everything really going for him in terms of his professional career. He was a very good recruiter. He did a really good job at putting a, a solid team on the on the court. And then you combine that with the facilities, the NIL money, everything you can think of behind that Texas program, you can turn that top 20 team 
top 20 program into a top 10 program real quick. And I think he was on that path. And it's just, it's really a shame that he just kind of threw it all all away like that. It is. I'm looking back at his resume. Colin, do you remember going through this when he was really, you know, coming to prominence in that, you know, those few years at the end with Texas Tech and when they made the title game, he was at some place called Fort Scott Community College back in 2000. Then he goes to Tech. He makes his way to Texas Tech to become associate head coach for about 10 years. So that's something, right? But then he really had to climb through the ranks again. You would think that being an associate head coach at a Big 12 school, you might not have to take the path that he took. So maybe that tells you something there. Uh, 2011 to 2012, South Carolina Warriors. Then he was at McMurray. Then he was at Angelo State. Then he made his way to Little Rock and then bounces back to Texas Tech in 2016 to take the head coaching position, stays in Texas. This is a Texas guy, too. Uh, Alma maters being Abilene Christian and Texas. That's funny. Those two played each other in the tournament game that me and my son went to in the bubble tournament. Not the bubble tournament, but it was the... It was the minimum attendance at tur- tournament. That was all in Indiana. But uh, that's crazy. To yeah, see no. But with Beard. Chris Beard, uh, you mentioned how he stepped down after he was that associate head coach with Texas Tech. He actually was there through two tenures with the Knights. So he was originally there with Bob Knight when he was there from, uh, or he joined there midway through Bob's tenure, I believe. No, actually, he joined. I'm sorry. He joined at the start of Bob's tenure. Yeah, he was in there in 01. He was there in 01. And continued there through when Pat was there. And then he eventually was let go once Pat was let go after the 2011 season. Uh, step down, but I, I think mostly I knew him through the year he was at Little Rock because he had a really good team there, and I don't remember if they won a game in the tournament, but I mean, they were really good that year, and uh, they gave a lot of teams trouble. Alright, you're my guy for this kind of stuff. When you scan college basketball and they're going to start the search, and Texas, again, can make big-time hires because of who they are, what their athletic department, what their budget is, who comes to mind? What are you seeing out there? And dare I say, guy, we got in our own backyard. Will he be a candidate like he always seems to be when big jobs pop up? Yeah, I feel bad coming on the flagship station of Ohio State and then mentioning their their head coach as a candidate for the job. But, I mean, to be honest with you, this is a type of we're guy. We're not reporting anything. No. We're, we're saying it as a compliment. No. We're hoping he stays here and that they you know, get, get some serious things done here with this program. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I I fully believe that Holtman should be a guy that's on their radar, just like he's going to be whenever Calipari leaves at at Kentucky. It's just, it's always going to be the case with a guy like his talent. And I I think he's definitely on the short list. Me personally, if I was Texas, I would take a real hard look at what Dennis Gates is doing with Missouri right now. Like the way he's not only just brought in some good talent and recruiting, but he hammered the portal this offseason and now has a top 25 program down there that's giving everybody fits, especially, I mean, he destroyed Brad Underwood in Illinois and he just gave a good tough game to Arkansas this week, man, Dennis, Dennis Gates, first year at Mizzou, first year at Missouri. And look what's going on with the Tigers and and the whole sec, by the way, is looking pretty good, but Gates and Mizzou. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Who did you just say? Jerome Tang, who is the uh, head coach at Kansas state. Who's done a great job. They were projected to be the last place team. And they just took down that, that Texas team this week. What a name too. I bet the student section has fun with Tang. I bet they do. They I don't know do. what they do, but I yeah. I would pro- I, I think you could think of a couple ideas, but no, that's a great example. And uh, Gates and Tang are both guys that were longevity wise. They were with really good head coaches before they became head coaches themselves with 
uh, Gates before his tenure at Cleveland State. He was with Leonard Hamilton down at Florida State. And then you've got Tang, who was a longtime assistant of Bryce Drew down there at Baylor. Before we head off into the rest of the podcast here, Evil, anything in particular from the week that was in college hoops pop off the page? We'll get into it here shortly more with Purdue and their early week loss to Rutgers, how they handled that with a win on the road at Ohio State. But Houston, Kansas, UConn, and Arizona were rounding out the top five to start the week. I think I, real quick, I want to correct myself because I think I just said Bryce Drew for for Baylor said coach. It's actually Scott Drew, his brother. Yeah, I, Bryce. I, com- I completely messed that up, so uh, I hey, apologize. Hey, I, I didn't catch it because Bryce Drew is still such a dude in the college basketball world I think for he's what still he did. At Grand he's Canyon? at Grand Canyon. Yeah, yeah Bry- that's right. Yeah, Bryce Drew is at Grand Canyon, and I think they're off to a nice little start. Yeah, they're having a good season. They had a good season last year, so we'll see what Bryce rebounds after it didn't work out for him at Vanderbilt. Common mistakes. We all make them. There's 363 Bros, teams in the man. country. I'll get the Hurleys confused, too. <laughs> I, but I, not, not as good as UConn is, though. I ain't confusing Dan Hurley there. I, I definitely did last year, but I will not this year. Um, No, really, the, the story the the week has been a lot of these upsets happening. I think if, And I think if you're gambling on college basketball this week, you haven't been doing very well because a lot of these favorites have been absolutely tarnished by some of these games. Like, UConn was dominated, in my opinion, and the score doesn't really reflect that, but the way that Providence plays basketball, they are the same team as last year with maybe a little bit less luck and more skill. Uh, Ed Cooley did a great job of hammering the portal. Uh, Guys like Jared Bynum are there that really provide a solid foundation for what he wants to do with his style of play. And yeah, the story of the week was just all the upsets that happened. Duke losing by 20 plus points to NC State on the road, and I mean, it it was over within the first five to ten minutes of that game. Yeah, there was like, uh, wasn't it like 19-3 to at some point at the start of that game? NC State was Duke did show up, and I will tell you right now, if that NC State team makes it into the tournament, that's a team based around guards and a really good good transfer. They have a really good front court transfer, uh, Burns, who was, I believe, with Winthrop last year, who was a really good player. They have a really start solid starting five, and Tequavion Smith is the guy in the name you're going to want to know when it comes to tournament time because he can drop 25, 26 points on an average night and probably put up 30 if he really wants to. Yeah, they had two dudes, a Joyner and Smith, who you just mentioned, who were awesome. Joyner had nine dimes to go with six rebounds and the 21 points in that 84-60 uh, beatdown of the Blue Devils. And I, I can just tell you there's nothing that the Wolfpack fan base loves more <laughs> than getting their shots against Duke and UNC, especially at the old RBC Center, whatever the hell it's called now, where they share the arena with the Carolina Hurricanes. But you guys are locked right. You had something more to say? Yeah, Go ahead. I was just going to say they have uh, – I've taken a pulse, and especially when I spent a couple of days down in Raleigh last year, I took a pulse on NC State fans, and it seems like they kind of have the same Ohio State fan battle where they prefer the old gym and not the new shiny one. Yes, they do. And they Reynolds did. Coliseum, and baby. Not, I've seen games there. They did not fill that game well against Duke, is what I've heard. They were taking some pictures. I think I saw the same things you did on social media. By the time that game got going, it's also it's one of those things where we do. This is a discussion. It's off campus. This is too. a discussion for a different day. It's off campus, and it's easier to get in. It should be way easier to get in to an RBC center. But man, at Ohio State, we got problems getting people parked and into the arena on time 
when you are like approaching the area a good 40 minutes before the basketball game starts, we've got to figure out a way. It was definitely obvious. I don't know where you were sitting for the game, but the Purdue game, especially the start of the game, it seems like there was a little bit of a late arriving crowd. People just can't get in. They can't get parked. I don't think you can blame it on the fans. I think you can just blame it on the situation. All right, much more to come and a little bit more on Ohio State because uh, what a week that was. They've got some really, really good things to focus on with some of their players and what Bryce Sensabaugh is doing, but another huge missed opportunity against a really good team. Had a couple of those already this season. More coming up. You guys have episode 77 of Mad About Hoops. It's a shame when Ohio State loses games this year, at least that I've noticed in about two of the four losses to this point that they've had. It seems like the X's and O's at the end of the game gets a little tight. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of questions in some of the decisions they make, especially with, and we'll get into it, the decision to have Bruce Thornton be the inbounder with 28 seconds left, up one point, and in the situation where Purdue's got to either get a steal or foul you, and you have him inbounding it, I, I think you would want, and I understand he's a freshman, I would think you'd want your best ball handler with the ball in his hands there. Yeah, and just to, to point out a couple other things as to why why that went that way, in terms of who took the ball out, I'm not going to say this as a why for why Justice Suing went into the corner to post up. That's bad, too. To get the basketball right where the double team could hit him. That's something we need to talk about. But they did mention that Bruce was feeling a little iffy, just health-wise. And that, you might have noticed sense. he was yeah. out of the game. Okay. And, that, and that was well, it was a weird thing. I'm not saying it's it's right or wrong because of that. You clearly trusted him enough to be out there in the final minute to throw the critical pass inbounds and then also step in and be Justice Suing's emergency pass. And I thought he was a little flat-footed and should have tried to step up to get that ball. I mean, I know, he, I know it was a bad pass, right? Terrible decision by Justice Suing, but let's not compound it. Once you recognize he makes, oh, God, he actually threw that ball. Let me step up and go and receive that. Don't let Ethan Morton slide in front of me. He's a really good player, by the way. But there was just so much. And I came away from this one. I, you know, we clearly, we we like Chris Holtman. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's the strangest thing that I've seen where you know you've got a really good basketball coach. And he's still looking for that first title win of any type, conference or you know, conference tournament or regular season, made the second weekend the one time with Butler, had some really, really good teams here, some injuries, some bounces don't go the right way. But people are pointing out, and people just just tend to notice a little bit more when you're in these really, really pressure-packed late-game situations. And we just had one of these against UNC, and you had a chance to beat the number one team in the country up one with ball, shot clock off, and three mistakes. From that point in the final 30 seconds, three mistakes came your way, whether that was not coaching it right or just bad execution. Combination of those two things. And it is, man, I, I, I share with the fan base's frustration there. You want to, you're not going to win all these games, right? No. And I, I haven't done a deep analytical dive on it yet, right? But it'd be curious to go and see like all of the five point or less situations at the two minute mark and see how the Buckeyes have fared in those games. Cause when you do get into the tournament, man, and you pointed this out, you got to pretty much win that kind of game in the second round to get to the sweet 16. Those are the teams that Those survive. Tough. Those are the teams that survive. Yeah, The smart teams late that are doing all the right things. 
if if Purdue beats you, you know, if they kept taking it to Edie and, you know, they're calling fouls on you, you're doing your best to wall up without Zed Key being out there, and they beat you, like the 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 Zed, sorry, the Zach Edie two-point bucket where they didn't double and Felix is just trying to play good defense and you're hoping for a miss. You don't let him dunk it on your head. I'm okay with that. I can lose with that. But it's tougher when you turn it over in the backcourt, up one with ball, shot clock off. You don't even get a bucket. You don't even get a look on your final shot, down two with a good seven seconds, ball in the side court, and you give up a three that's that wide open. You've just got to be quicker to get back if you're going to choose to scrape the post or double the post. No, you you, compl- you completely nailed it. This is a game where if they continued their, their trend in that game where they made, I think, 13 threes compared to the six or seven they average in most games, or at least the last five games, if they beat you that way and this is a game that Purdue's running away with it, Tip your cat to them. They beat you with the way that you wanted them to beat you. And you, you can't do a whole lot about that because you have to take away their biggest asset, which takes a couple of guys to help out with. In this situation, though, you had the opportunity. You were completely efficient, totally efficient on offense, so much so that it was the worst game for Purdue's defense this entire year in terms of the offensive efficiency they gave up per Ken Palm. Like, it's it's not even debatable. I saw the numbers on it. But... The matter really? of the fact are, you, is, are you talking about just I think so Ohio not State, just field goal percentage? That's just Ken Palm's. So bad on I that. think it's based off points per one hundred possessions. possessions. Okay. I think it was around like one nineteen or something like that. So and, they, and that's also with Ohio State. They they can't keep that offense up for an entire forty minutes. That's one thing people point out, and maybe how they played in the final few minutes of the first half. They'll they had some cold spells there. They had a twelve point lead early. And it wasn't just Ohio State's lack of offense. Purdue started hitting the threes. They hit, what, five of six threes? And you got to, like, pick your poison. Double-team Zach Eady, not let him kill you, and or, or stay with those shooters. And Purdue was going to start shooting it better than 30% from three. They were. They're going to start shooting it better than that. Yeah, tip of the cap to Adam Jardy. He got it. It was the adjusted offensive efficiency of Ohio State was 114.9, which was the worst allowed from Purdue so far this season per Kempom. Um, so that that tells you how well they were doing on the offensive end to win this game. Like they they were doing enough until the final couple of minutes when it's just all about preserving the ball and having solid possessions. And quite honestly, it's just a, it's another example of this team just really doesn't know how to handle a press break right now. And it's it's kind of scary to think about. You you would maybe expect that from some of your younger players playing in that position, but not your fifth year senior, not your fifth year senior that you expect oh, to be a very oh, yeah. solid ball handler and just. Make a decision like that underneath his own basket. That's why that blame is shared there, you know? Like, we can't have that draw up where he just goes to the corner and posts up to get the inbound. Because now you're inviting the trap if they wanted to. you did. You invited the trap, and that's exactly what Purdue was going to do on that play. Like, they were coming for that. Look, they're down one with the shot clock off. They're a desperate team. You have to make them. You have to get that foul. You have to draw the foul when you're up. With the shot clock off. That's the only outcome, right? Like basketball 101. That's the only outcome that can happen. That's that's for playing this thing smart and to the bone at the end of the game. You cannot play against like a a trapping press situation conservatively. You got to be somewhat aggressive because if you just go into the corner and kind of turtle like that, they're going Mm. to take that opportunity. I'll take that back where the only outcome is a foul. What's the other only outcome? A lay, a layup, a layup, (laughs) yeah, or a dunk. If you be, if you beat their press and then 
you have to take the layup or the dunk, and then you they never would have know the with ball that too. Three. I mean, they could have probably have gone for a ten second call too if they really wanted to. Um, I think what it was twenty seconds. But, that, but seconds that, all that stuff is still on you. Like that's your job right. as the offense to get past that difficult period, and they played into Purdue's defense right there with what they did. So let me. Uh, I had it right here. Chris Holtman on. Justice Sewing's turnover. We respect him to trap, and we were in our spots. We just didn't make the right read, but that's, you know, that's never the player's fault. That's the coach's fault. We've got to find a way to, to get them more comfortable in those situations. I do like how he takes that there. He takes that one. But again, as you mentioned, Justice is such a veteran player. That's that's tough to see him do that, not just take a deep breath, because he threw that pass almost yeah. immediately, right? You've got the five seconds. Is it fair to you ask? The, I think you had the dribble too. Yes, right. Is it fair to ask if they really were in the right positions? And if so, why are we of coaching course. them to be in those positions of where course. they were? Yeah. On no, the baseline. Do, do, we do, any, do we screen? Justice didn't come off a screen. He just drifted to the corner. That's exactly what it felt like. It felt like one of those like under the basket on your offensive end where the guys are just trying to post up to get the ball thrown over top like, of them. Like but, get the lob and then yes, try to score. But in this yeah. situation, it's just get the ball into me at the front and let me see what I can do. I I don't know if that's really how it's coached, and if it is, I would like to see maybe a different way to go about it. I do too. Yeah, clearly, I, I'm I'm done seeing it that way, <laughs> right? I think I think everybody is. I think th- I think they realize that, and it's they got to keep working on that. Because it's it's a common theme, and I know there's, I don't know if it directly correlated to the loss with North Carolina, but there were stretches throughout that game where Carolina was playing a a more full full court style, and guys like McNeil and some of our guards just couldn't handle dribbling the ball up the court. Well, it stinks too, because McNeil hit a winner, and right? He, yes. That was a great shot. A rise and fire has the head to get the foot behind the three point line with, you know, 58 seconds left in a nip and tuck second half where it looked there as Purdue was going to get hot, that they might run off with that game in your offense and a little bit of your defense kept plugging away, stayed in that ball game. Bryce Sensabaugh got through a little mini cold spell where he missed a couple shots finally and got it back going. But stinks that McNeil hits that shot and you're up one with ball, shot clock off, and you have the turnover and the defensive breakdown and then not getting a look at the end of the game and having it tipped away from Bryce Sensabaugh. We'll do some more Buckeye coverage here as episode 77 of Mad About Hoops rolls along. Talk a little bit more about the resume that's built up, where they're going from here. Keep it locked. All right, Timmy Hall, Evil Bald Colin. We are Mad About Hoops. We love college basketball. We love all college basketball, but... We're looking at these Ohio State Buckeyes right now, and they are 10 and 4. All of the losses are to good teams, right? You look at San Diego State out at the Maui Invitational, Duke and Carolina, classic blue bloods. You can get into some arguments over how good, you know, UNC's overall resume is. You needed that one, you wanted that one. And the number one team in the country, Purdue, on your home court, though. So now you got to pick up the pieces, you got to go along and. Now, you know, before we talk resume, you got to win a road game. January is, they got to be road dogs you this win month. Road games. You yes. got to win road games, and Maryland is a funny team. You know, they're, they've got good players, and you could speak a little bit more uh, to, to what the Terps are. You, you're, more, you're better than I am with uh, knowing everything about every single Big Ten <laughs> basketball program, but they've had some ups and downs. They got destroyed by Michigan, but they've been ranked at times this year. Kevin Willard, Seton Hall. 
goes over there and yet another game where you've got a former Buckeye basketball assistant on the bench. Like last game, Terry Johnson was over there with Purdue. Yeah. Ever since the UCLA game, which I, I made sure to bring up to you when uh, that happened uh, last month, they've in their losses, they've kind of been blown out. And with Maryland, it's, it's a team that's very solid. There's a bunch of guys you still remember from last year, like Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, uh, they bring in a couple of good transfers. Jameer Young's a really good player. They have a very solid back. Donald Carey came over from Georgetown, one of the few actually good players that Georgetown's produced oh my within, gosh. <laughs> within the past couple of years. Uh, this is a very solid roster. I, I don't know, though, if they're a very consistent roster. Some of these players that I just mentioned to you can go out and get you 20 points, but a lot of them, when it comes to the big games, kind of kind of shy away. Julian Reese, a guy that was a very good freshman, stepped up so far this year. I think he's going to match up pretty well with, I'm assuming at this point it's Akpara that's going to be starting this game. I, I think this is also an opportunity for Akpara to get some confidence and face a guy like Reese that he could probably take advantage of. But uh, this is, it, it's, it's I, I say this, outside of Minnesota maybe, there's not a team in the Big Ten that I say, oh yeah, that's a win. That's an automatic win. And even Minnesota's got some pretty good players. But I think this is a game and for, for Ohio State to get back on the horse and get in some rhythm because there's some really tough road games coming up that you don't want to start slipping these and get into a rut. It's a pesky game. It really is. They Their fans are crazy, borderline evil. Yes. I mean, the stuff that they will say, the things that they will do, it, it ain't normal stuff. Oh, they, they almost they reminds me of the ran out Turgeon. at Mizzou. They pretty much ran out Turgeon. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they didn't lose any sleep about it either. No, they didn't. And, you know, they won some good stuff. They won some stuff with Mark Turgeon. He wasn't all bad. I mean, as far as we had the little thing with Chris Holtman, that was not a good look, I don't think, for Turgeon's part. Just really uh, going after Caleb Wesson, I think that was, years back. But looking at this Terps team, they were 8-0. and They started 8-0. They beat a crappy Louisville team. We all know that. They dismantled them like they should. And they beat Illinois when Illinois was ranked. They beat Miami in that stretch, too. They destroyed Miami. Destroyed Miami. But now... Their only two wins of late were their bye games against St. Peter's, and that ain't the same St. Peter's no. team. That was a darling in the tournament. They won that by 30. They beat UMBC. Talk about some famous little guy tournament teams right there to play back-to-back, St. Peter's and UMBC. But they did lose to really good squads. Like, they lost to Wisconsin on the road, Tennessee, UCLA, hammered by Michigan on the road, and then beat by Rutgers on the road. So, I mean, there's a chance those are all tournament teams when it is said and done. But it's a it's a worrisome game. I'll say that. It's a worrisome game. How are you going to respond? No Zed Key, all likelihood. Coming off of that loss might be in the back of your mind. I just, I need to see this Ohio State team keep doing what they're doing from an offensive standpoint. That's their bread and butter. That's their strength. Keep shooting the tray when it's open. As long as Sean McNeil can keep providing you that little bit of extra when he's confident. If he gives you that 10 to 15 point night, you can still... You could still make do with Zed being out. You'll have more Eugene Brown. You'll be switching up your rotations a little bit and counting on Felix Okpar a lot more. I think this could be a good phase for Felix to take advantage of it. I completely agree. This is a Maryland team that's kind of struggled to score of late. They uh, Now, er, everybody's scoring at low numbers on the road at Rutgers, which we'll have to deal with uh, in the upcoming week. So we'll, we'll have to get into that next week. But uh, Maryland's a team that, like I said, has the offensive pieces. If they really want to be able to attack, they can. 
but it's it's a team that's on a slump, and this is what the Big Ten slate is like, man. When you face a team that you thought before the year they might be better than what they currently are, you have to take advantage of where they are and see if you can pile their losses on top of them and make that as an opportunity to flip the streak that you're on. So I, I think this is a great way to get back into it because, like I said, going on the road at Rutgers and at Nebraska and maybe five years ago seemed like it was a uh, an easy shot. Those games are not going to be easy come that time. All right, so when you look at the Buckeyes' overall resume, how does that resonate with you? You've seen what the net ranking is, the Ken Palm ranking is, but where would they fit into a field at this point in time? Yeah, it's funny because Ken Palm still has them at 11, and I think a lot of that has to play into that they're the number two team in offensive efficiency with uh, 118.7 per 100 possessions, which is really incredible. Which is really incredible. You have to tip your cap to that, but that number 79 on the, the, the defensive side is what is kind of hurting you at the end of the day, and it's adding up to what we're seeing on the court. Um, I'd, I have think, him, I'd have him right at a six still. Right I think at, I have I'd him, have at, him right at a six. You're, I think I have, have him seven? at seven. I, I just don't Why? know. I just don't know if their resume really stacks up with a lot of teams yet. And to be, I think they're now three and four in quad one games and their, their quad one wins are uh, Texas tech Rutgers and Northwestern. Northwestern. I, I just don't think that's solid enough resume yet to try to start winning some of these matchups in terms of game, looking at resumes. Now I have to look at some of what those six or seven line seed teams are, but like Duke's down there right now. I saw on Fox. So if you're just looking at basically they already played them. So you're trying to compare Duke and Ohio state. I think you have to get the tip of the cap to Duke in that situation. But uh, just Well, I guess in saying that I'll, I'll already put the prediction out that I think they're going to get the job done tomorrow, Sunday afternoon. I think they get the win over Maryland which helps. when it's needed. Yeah. And that helps. And you're also, you're also banking that this team is going to progress. So you're 45. Oh, That's- my bad. A little uh, computer sound. <laughs> so, so you're 45. No, not there yet, buddy. No. Not there yet. Got uh, got a few years to go. Colin's got a lot of years to go. But as I was saying, you're projecting out. And uh, I, I think when you point to that offensive efficiency, and again, uh, the hope is that they continue to focus and get a little bit better on defense. I know that there's another level that Isaac likely can bring to them. He's kind of been quiet and coming back from the team. Eugene Brown. This Maryland game back actually, into this rotation. It's a, it's more. a quad one game, so it's quad an, one? It's an yeah. opportunity. It's an opportunity. So there you go. You can get it back to four and four right there. And again, like I, I, I think that's fair. I, I do. I think that's fair for a ten and four team that's flirted with being in the top twenty-five the whole entire season. And clearly, yeah, clearly they got to keep proving themselves as the season progresses. The great thing is that they have the opportunities to make it up. Um, the bad thing is, is that they actually got to start converting some of these. You ha- you have all these opportunities, but you need to start converting them. And going back to what I'm looking at, like Missouri, West Virginia, uh, Kentucky, Providence. These are some of the seven light seed teams for Lunardi right now. So it's and he actually yeah, moved Ohio okay. State back up to yeah. a six. I'm with you. So yeah, when you look at Mizzou and what they've done, it's a very deep six and seven line seed right now. Honestly, I would hate to be one of these two seeds this year because if this is what the six and sevens are going to look like. It's going to be tough to fill out your brackets. Missouri just lost a tough one on the road at Arkansas, right? Yeah, and you After can't beat they beat Illinois, they beat they beat Illinois, they beat Kentucky. They lost to Kansas, they lost to on the road at Arkansas. That's the two losses. Like just looking at Lenardi right now and this is obviously going to change day by day, but he's got if you're thinking about chalk winning these matchups, you could have a Providence versus UCLA 7-2 matchup, a Kentucky Houston 2-7 matchup. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Tennessee, Missouri, another good one, and West Virginia, UConn. Like these are all situations, man, where it's going to be tough come March to s- figure out 
which way you're going to want to go with it. Difference, though, with Mizzou is they really didn't play anybody. That's and true. So they didn't play anybody. They weren't in one of these really difficult holiday tournaments, and that matters. And that's why you do go out and take those chances, even in neutral site. We can have that whole discussion. Would we rather see some of the more home-and-home home type games? Yes, we would, but we clearly ain't saying anything bad about the Maui. Like, that's one no. that always stands, that one that's always going to be there, and juggernauts will play in that at the Lahaina Civic Center. And if we can do our best, we're both going to look like Evan Turner with our chest hair showing and our shades on and our button down with the top three buttons undone if we can do that at one time in our life. That dude was having some fun when he was at the Maui. It was good to see E.T., Getting recognized with Jim Jackson at the Buckeye game this week. What's actually funny is that those two got recognized, but I also saw Michael Red was there too. And I'm kind of surprised he didn't get in in on that. Right, yeah, all right. I've seen him at more games too, but yes, absolutely. Michael Red is there. Let's get him out there there and make it a trio. I think he was there with his son. If his son's any good at basketball, I need to start looking this up and see if we can uh, see what we can do to get him here at the university. All right, so one more thing left to do. We will take a quick pause. We've got Evil's famous mid-major flavor. We always pay attention to the little guys here on this podcast and the Mad About Hoops road trip meter. Where should you be going today or tomorrow if you're looking for some college basketball goodness? That's all coming up. Episode 77, Mad About Hoops. All right, Timmy Hall, Evil Bald Colin, hanging out with you guys. Thank you for listening to our fine podcast. It is for... The college basketball lover indeed. Episode 77 of Mad About Hoops. And we certainly do appreciate everybody listening in on the fan as we are doubled up now on Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. So, you know, the, even in this final segment here, this is, is fitting for everybody listening in on the fan because we're pretty much looking at games that are coming up on Saturday and on Sunday. So we're taking a good hard look at the weekend that we are living in right now. So, evil. As we start off, first with the road trip meter here. Then we'll get to our mid-major flavor. We are jam-packed in the road trip meter. A lot of eights, a lot of nines right here this weekend. And we've had some good ones. How about that UConn-Xavier game, huh? Last week. That was incredible. Woo! Unfortunately, I was on that trip for the the Peach Bowl, so I couldn't go, of course. But, um, no, that was a really good game, and... If you made that trip, good out of you because that was a good one. All right, I'm looking at one that's uh, it's, it's a good solid nine only because it's not that cheap of a ticket. But with a get-in price of $51 and it's only a three-hour and 15-minute car ride from C-Bus here, you've got West Virginia. Yeah, take me home, country roads. That's right. They're hosting number three, Kansas. Rock chalk, baby. Chance to see the Jayhawks. Chance to see a very cool venue. You got the Jerry West statue. They're right on the river there. Six o'clock Saturday night. Jayhawks, one of the best teams in the country. But it's always tough for them to win at West Virginia Coliseum. Yeah, I mean, for my Saturday one, if you want to go to it, you better open up the checkbook. But it's over 100 bucks to get into Breslin Center. Uh, to see Michigan State, Michigan, that's always such a tough game. That's yeah, <laughs> so pricey. physical, close, man. Close but pricey. It's close but pricey, but man, it, it could be worth it in the end for you. And then I will move on to Sunday because there's a really good game. I believe that's three o'clock on Sunday. If you want to make the trip down to the uh, Cincinnati, yeah, you yes. can go to fifth yes. third. You can yep. see Cincinnati hosting Houston, which is again a very good team, is a Final Four contender, and don't short Cincinnati, man. They kind of struggled early on, and Ohio State gave it to them, 
but they've rebounded really well, and they're they're looking really good. The other one, too, that I'm going to put pretty high up, there's actually two. One's going to be a little bit more of a poke. One's going to be a little bit more of a haul, but we're, we're staying in the Big Ten here for, for both of these. Indiana is hosting Northwestern. So if you have never been to Assembly Hall... That's a great opportunity. Uh, absolutely. And that's Big Ten basketball. Northwestern is an 11-3 and squad right now. Clearly, Ohio State had their way with them, but they're not going to be that bad the rest of the way. But Northwestern is going to give them hell, man. That that back that backcourt is really good. And without Xavier Johnson, man, it looks like Indiana is going to struggle with that. Yeah, that's right. Indiana lost a, a really important player. They were up big on Iowa and their back lost that game. Blew their that game. Couldn't handle it. They were up 50 to 40 at halftime. The Hoosiers were. So that was that was really tough, really tough for them. But we're talking about seeing venues, seeing great games. And for the sake of the discussion, we're leaving the Buckeyes out on this. Like, I get it. I, I even heard Anthony Rothman talking about the desire to make the trip. He said he had a niece that's a student at Maryland. And you could check out D.C. for the weekend, hit that all day Saturday, and then Sunday at 1 o'clock, you got the Buckeyes game at Maryland at Xfinity Center, the old Comcast Center. But the other one that I'm looking at, which couples a nice little trip to a city where you can do some cool things, maybe stuff your face with some fine cheesesteaks, with or without the whiz, certainly with the provolone, Purdue is taking on Penn State. So you get to see those dogs that just came in here and beat the Buckeyes, the number one team in the nation. But they have moved this game to, uh-huh, the Palestra. It's not in, obviously, I said Philadelphia and cheesesteaks. It's not in Happy Valley. Sometimes Penn State will give some of those up to play in one of the most classic venues in the land. And I've told this story before. When me and my buddy went and did the Palestra, we saw Ivy League action in the evening. And it slipped through the cracks that Iowa was playing Penn State in a double whammy day of basketball. It was like a one o'clock tip with Penn State and Iowa. And we were going to a seven o'clock tip between Princeton and Penn. Still really, really cool. Well, you've got. Uh, but man, we would have gone to both. Yeah, as low as $32 to get in the door. So that's not terrible for a game of that magnitude. No. Oh, and the, the Indiana Northwestern money, by the way, tickets as low as $24. That's pretty good for a ticket at Assembly Hall there's in the a, Big Ten Yeah, play there's here. a lot of great options in terms of the money and some of the matchups. It's really good. All right, so here we go. We got one last thing to do. That is, it's the floor is yours. Talk about the little guys, man. The mid-major flavor. Here we go. Yeah, so when you talk about the Atlantic Sun, there's usually one team within the last four to five years that's really dominated it, and it's the Liberty. Richie McKay has had a really good program down there. His main guy, Darius McGee, seems like he's been there for seven years, but no, he's just a senior, but he's been really good since he started there, averaging 22 points per game. Uh, they, Their schedule isn't very good. I mean, they've lost the games that really matter. Uh, they lost to Northwestern and Alabama, but they just win their conference games. And if you just win those and you win the Atlantic Sun, you'll get in. But uh, the, yeah, they played three non-Division one games. I don't know how good they might be overall, but at least they have one of the better players in the mid-major circuit and Darius McGee, and he's been doing it for years. Uh, by the way, for all of our Dayton Flyer buddies out there, and I've got a ton of them, they're hitting their stride right now. I mean, they were a total friggin' mess early. They and they've did, been dealing with injuries, too. They did lose to UNLV, Wisconsin, NC State, and BYU. And then they also lost to Virginia Tech. But now they've won like 7 out of 8 or 8 out of 9. They're on a nice little winning streak. They hammered Davidson on the road. And they came back and they piped St. Joseph's by 20. One of their former players playing for St. Joseph's. So they got the job done. 
and uh, I think Holmes in that in that Davidson game had 32 points. Deron Holmes, so uh, he's been he's been going crazy. He just scored 20 against St. Joseph, so he's having a nice nice year. And just when you look at it, they're three and zero. And 11 and five atop the standings in the A-10. They look like they're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. I mean, they're starting to get guys to step up. Like you said, Holmes kind of struggled early on in the year with some of their bigger games, but he's really stepped up for guys like Malachi Smith. And I think uh, Kobe Elvis is, uh, he's been out too. So that's been huge that they've gotten him. And the guy that goes by Mongolian, Mike, Mike, I can't pronounce his last name, but I think he played, his dad played with the Globetrotters at one point. Um, But he's, he's been a really good player. So, so fun. So fun. When they were at the Schottenstein Center, just guys just bringing joy it, to the game of basketball. Is it Mike Sherajamitz? I'm looking right at it. I don't want to butcher it either. Sound if it reads how it sounds, then you hit it on the head. But his nickname down there in the student section, it's Mongolian Mike, just for short. <laughs> Mongo Mike, that's fantastic. Well, I know you're going to enjoy some college basketball this weekend. That goes without saying. So yeah, I can't wait, man. It's going to be a great slate. Yeah, buddy. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Got a great weekend coming up, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Episode 77, Mad About Hoops.